I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 70. I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. And joining us is super fan special guest, Brolin. Say hello. Hello. We are coming to you from the Moto One Podcast Studios. We have just been served sushi on naked women all around us, courtesy of the studios. Just a little light lunch because we're pampered so much. Now it's interesting you go to that given our current our guest for this episode. Look, <laughs> I, I didn't say it was morally correct. I was implying that it was expensive. Okay. I've been in the waiting room for two hours. Yeah. It, look, you're lucky we let you in at all. Okay. How did you get past security? Now, what we've got for this episode today, we have, let's see, we're going to do our best worst bike, of course. Jolin's going to, jo- Brolin's going to join us for that. We have special guest Aline Metz to talk with us about an exciting new motorcycle TV series. We've got emails. We have a crash report, our first crash report ever. Still killing it compared to the Misfits. Well, that's true, but it's not really a moment of pride, is it? Now no. we've got what else? Um, I think we'll cover like our ride and what we got up to today. And yeah, in fact, let's start with that. Brolin, we went on a crazy ride today, didn't we? Yeah, we did. This was one of Dr. Mike Action's signature routes. Okay. <laughs> or as I've decided to start calling it, <laughs> Dr. Mike's irrelevant history tours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. For listeners who don't know, Dr. Mike is our friend, Dr. Mike of the Buell Ulysses fame, has become notorious for concocting strange routes that take us by very little, or some might even say completely unpopular, historical places, (laughs) and quite often involves dirt roads (laughs) for street motorcycles and today did not disappoint let's see we went uh we rode up to blackhawk and and we had we had lunch at a nice spot uh some pretty expensive but very tasty burgers in central city that was good we went in and out of That's rain not far from where i crashed oh really <laughs> we went we went in and out of um rain all day and the second half of the day was just consumed by us going up incre- a, a, a series of increasingly sketchy dirt roads. <laughs> and apparently the big attraction he was taking us to was like an almost 200-year-old graveyard that was by all... Uh, all Seemed almost abandoned. Somebody probably comes by this thing to maintenance it once a year, if even. Yeah. Uh, most of the graves like ended at around like nineteen hundred. Are there any famous people at this graveyard? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. There was a login book for Odd Fellows, which I think is a Masonic thing. And yeah, the, anything resembling a facility on the grounds was falling apart. 
there was a gate that was probably supposed to prevent us from even going in. This is very Dr. Mike. <laughs> There was weirdly enough on the dirt roads leading there, someone following us on an, on an enduro who must've just been like, I don't know what these idiots on a super Hawk, a Ulysses and a K 1300 are doing on the, like, this is too weird for me. I'm out. And he just <laughs> dropped off the it, back yeah. of us. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a lot of Dr. Mike pointing out abandoned mines. That was a big theme throughout the entire afternoon. Lots of abandoned mines. We rode up this one road seemingly just so at one point, Mike could point to the left and go. So over here, that little blue building, that's an entrance to an abandoned mine. And Brolin was like, Wow. And Mike was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't bring my kids to see it. It's not that special, I guess. <laughs> I, I really like that at the uh, the cemetery. They they Life must have been so sacred back then that they just put the, the days. Like it was 37 years, 28 days like yeah. that person lived. Well, they all like died right. super young. Like everyone was like 32 or 24 in this graveyard and some kids and which is always sad and all that kind of stuff. Like there was one person who was 60 and everyone else died young. That's that's kind of some medieval statistics right there. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a long life, maybe. Right, the in the, the mountains in Colorado in 1890. Yeah, I'm sure people died pretty young, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, Mike's irrelevant <laughs> history tours. <laughs> we, you, you have no idea, bro, and we've been on many of these. And Mike, Mike's been famous for this for a long time. Like I would go visit him when he was going to school in uh, in college in, in Indiana, and he'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna go do this thing today." And like I can't even remember a lot of the things. It would all, but it was it always end like that. Like so, we came here for this. And he'd be like, "Yeah." And it's like I'm I'm not angry. I'm just making sure. Like this is what we're doing. Okay, cool, great. I got you. Gotcha. Yeah. And I have to admit, though, I had fun riding around today. Oh, man, it, was, it was good. It, there were a lot of laughs. Like there was this moment where we were on a dirt road, and it split three different ways, and all three of the options were worse than the road we were currently on. And so I said, Mike, you've got the directions, which way he's like, we're going to the right. I was like, of course we are the worst looking option yeah. here. <laughs> it, it was, it would be like stopping on a MotoGP bike. Like, like I was saying for a, about a half an hour, like from going, going from 300. To, you know, to our brake bands were like, all wearing it out. Was, yeah. It was a 12% grade. You know, yeah, and, we were going on 12% grade for like 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least when we went down, um, at least when we were trespassing, Mike was on the most ill-suited bike at the time. Yeah. But now that he's got the Ulysses, he was on the best-suited bike. Yeah. So I feel like we need to have a little bit of a, we need to have a, a set of rules for Mike in terms of what roads are acceptable and who his who his uh his co-conspirators are on this <laughs> particular adventure mike loves what's what's the best way to put 
there is no good way to put this. Mike just loves irrelevant history, and that's okay. And I have fun on these things, but I, I, that's yeah, yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't call it irrelevant. It's okay, not irrelevant. That's not the right word. Well, some of it is. It's very anthropological. Yes, he, that's a good way. He's to put obsessed it. with the with the mines and the the minerals in the ground that are polluting stuff. Well, the... Mike was really more obsessed today with when we were and weren't trespassing. And of course he he stated every single time he was pretty confident we weren't trespassing. I'm pretty confident there were several times we were trespassing. <laughs> but like what was that sign? Well, I, keep going. When we got to the graveyard, he said Oh, I don't think we can go in here. There's all these no trespassing signs. And then I took a second look. I said, Mike, they just say no parking. And he's like, oh, well, we'll just go in then. And like opens up the gate and goes through. Just as like, okay, all, all, I I, I now have unfettered access to carte all blanche. of this. Carte blanche. Exactly. <laughs> just like that. And I wanted to be like, well, no parking might imply we shouldn't be here at all. I don't know. But I thought, just go with it. Um, <laughs> just go with it. Let's have a walk around this weird cemetery. But. Okay, so let's get on with a little bit of show. How about we do some best worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay, all right, we're going to do our disclaimer. Here we go. Every week, we each pick two different motorcycles, and we do not know what each other has picked. It's a surprise. All right, so if your feelings are hurt and you just can't deal with it, you, you're on the verge of just fix you know stocking up on diapers and doing a non-stop drive to moto one headquarters to confront us in person with how much we have trashed on your bike or your favorite bike just take a chill pill and send an email to nokomoto podcast at gmail.com nope oh that's right sorry at contact <laughs> at nokomoto podcast.com that's the one that we're doing now and then you can also just send us an email about whatever else is going on in your motorcycle life because we'd love to hear about it. But you know what? If in the meantime your feelings are still hurt, remember this. If you've ever been in an accident or if you just open up your wallet and take your insurance card out when you're lying on the side of the road and you're in pain, you look at that card with your insurance information. If you flip it over... On the back, it says, there's no crying in motorcycles. Boom. So with that, Swiggy, you have worst bike in the world this week, correct? I do. Awesome. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is? It's maybe controversial. Ooh. The Modus MST. Huh. Okay. Some people love these. I'm sure they do. <laughs> so now yeah. I, I don't want to hate on the modus guys too much because they were a very small operation and they did a lot. And this is part ragging on the bike a little bit and part also kind of examining why they failed as a company and why it all kind of fell apart. 
So for those of you not in the know, Modus was an American boutique motorcycle company slash motor company out of Alabama. And in 2018, probably, what, 10, 15 episodes into our show, they they went under? Something like that. It's pretty close. And their their bike was the MST. And I guess we should go over what the MST really is. Yes. So the MST is a 100 cubic inch push rod v4 it's isn't it supposed to be a corvette ls engine cut in half it is a shrunk it is basically a shrunk down uh cut in half chevy small block yes right so yeah so 1650 cc two valve uh push rod motor but even given that it it does make about 168 horsepower and 123 foot-pounds of torque. But yeah, it is basically a Chevy small block cut in half and shrunk down a little bit. And that's the motor in it. And it's kind of a cool concept. So you would think, hey, if this is if this has any promise whatsoever, this should be kind of awesome. Right. But when you look at the picture on the whole and what this bike was meant to be and what it ended up being. And then on top of that, how it actually fared in the real world, it didn't really all come together. And when you put it all together, it's kind of not surprising that it failed or even that the company failed. And this is something that I would put in term in Hmm. What I would say is this is very much a mixed vision that compromised a whole lot and didn't really come to fruition. And it kind of killed the whole company. I want to say something about how it looks. Oh, I can give you a lot about how it looks. It looks okay. <laughs> no, sort it doesn't. Of. It does well, not hold look on. okay. Let me, let me explain. It does not. It doesn't look unlike a motorcycle, but it does look odd. And the best way I can describe this is you ever watched a video of a band playing live and they clearly have a very pretentious bass player playing a very odd looking bass or even a lead guitar player with a really odd looking guitar. You're sure that that's a very, very expensive, custom, weird looking guitar. And no matter how custom or how expensive or how nice someone says said bass or guitar is, it doesn't look as good as a Fender Stratocaster. It doesn't look correct like a Gibson Les Paul. It's novelty because it's trying to intentionally have a, an edgy or distinct look. And it's completely unnatural and it's uncomfortable to look at. Yes. <laughs> but am i wrong no you're bang on right so when you look at this bike if you just visually break down what it is it has the front fairing of a bmw uh tourer yeah there's a little f800 in there yeah 
It has the seat of a Honda. Mm-hmm. It has a sort of budget trellis frame Ducati esque look. Has the gas tank? Has the airbox cover of a Buell? Yes, it does. And it's got kind of a bit of a goozy thing going on with with the motor uh, sticking out as well. There is no singular vision, shape, or idea going throughout this bike at all. It is a mishmash of different concepts kind of all thrown together. It's not putting everything together from scratch and coming up with something that makes a lot of sense. It's not, there's no single stylistic vision here. It's just a whole bunch of things thrown together. What did they market this at as like a sports tour? Is that what it's supposed to be? Sort of a sports tour. And you know, it's kind of a, it was a boutique brand, but, and I guess most people put it in the category of sport tour, which I would put it firmly in the tour category or at least much closer to the tour than sport tour. It's definitely much closer to tourer on the sport tour spectrum. Right. But it, what else? The other thing you have to keep in mind is that this bike is $31,000. Wait, $31,000. Yes. Okay. So I've got some questions. <laughs> Why isn't it fucking nicer? Okay. Let me... Okay. <laughs> Remember so... when I talked about the 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 sort of Buell-esque bikes, the um, the Aventon, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was the other one. Oh, what was the other big uh, French uh, bike? Like the hundred sixty-eight thousand dollar one. Um, I will never be able to remember this name offhand. It's a really weird. Anyway, um, I'll remember it like 20 minutes from now. But those bikes were very expensive, but you could see where the money was going. It was going to completely frivolous areas of the bike, but you could see the money in the bike. I don't see the money here. Yeah, where's the wood inlays? Well, well, the the, the other really confounding thing is that this is a $31,000 motorcycle, but you could buy the engine, which is clearly the most custom and unique part of it, Uh being a two-valve, 90-degree V4 motor, 100 cubic inch, making kind of crazy horsepower and torque. 90-degree? This is going to be a 45-degree. So 90. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, it's... Yeah, so the motor itself is only ten grand of the price tag. There's not twenty thousand dollars worth of motorcycle in the rest of this. I mean, it's kind of like a Honda ST thirteen hundred without any of the creature comforts. Right. So imagine if you if you took a Honda if you took the an ST thirteen hundred and ten thousand dollars of the price tag was the motor, could that bike cost more? Then eighteen grand. No. So what else do you think you're getting here on this bike? And the reality is what you're getting is the premium of small volume. Right. It's exclusive. It's custom. It's small batch. Right. And what Modus was trying to do was create this small block motor and say, hey, you know, the Chevy small block 
everyone thinks, oh, pushrod motor in a modern car? This makes no sense. Well, actually, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of different applications. Yeah. And what they really did was they took the small block motor, they cut it in half and shrunk it down a bit and said, hey, a really compact motor volume-wise makes a ton of sense in a lot of different applications, like speedboats and side-by-sides and all sorts of other vehicles. Uh-huh. You know, a lot smaller than a car, a 1.6 liter motor that makes 170 horsepower is a really compelling thing. Mm-hmm. So they were mainly setting up to sell the motors and they sort of made the bike as kind of what they really wanted to make, but they were kind of selling the motors on the side to make the whole business work. Cause I don't think they ever thought they could sell the bike in a large enough volume to make the business work. Uh-huh. And ultimately they went under when their investors just said, we're out. We're not going to continue this. We don't see any future in this. And that's what ended up happening. And that's kind of the second angle on this bike, which is it was never going to be a sustainable thing that would hold itself up in that when you really look at the, at the automotive industry, there's kind of been two approaches that have been taken with it uh-huh. in which I call, which I, well, which I have dubbed the Tesla model and the Instagram model. Okay. Where the Tesla model is very much what Tesla and zero have done, where it's let's get, some product to market as quick as we can and we'll start selling it. We're going to sell our first product. It's still going to lose money and then we're going to refine it and we're going to get something out the door and start making a profit as quick as we can, but also validate our ideas the whole time. And then there's the Instagram model, which is, yeah, people are signing up. People like us. So we're clearly popular and Give us $14 billion, please. You know, and that works when you're in tech and when you're selling, you know, a company off an app and you're really just selling unicorn farts. Yeah. <laughs> but in the real world, when you're selling a physical product, it doesn't cut mustard. And this was kind of built on a dream that it, it just wasn't a real thing that could that could succeed. Yeah. It, this could have worked a lot if they'd done if they'd contacted someone crazy enough to make it work. I like the engine concept and I love the idea of this transverse V4 pushrod motor in a you know in a bike. I feel like you need someone just totally batshit crazy to make this happen like by moda right yeah that's the kind of boutique thing it needed to be it needed to be hey it's the it's the by moda modus that's what we're selling here right i also don't want to say that you know the boutique thing doesn't work because it's clearly working for arch motorcycles is it or does keanu reeves just keep that going because it's really fun for him (laughs) 
Have you ever seen one in the wild? Have you ever heard of anyone besides maybe Jay Leno purchasing one? Well, no, but I haven't seen a Confederate either. That's well, okay. Those clearly didn't work either. Well, well I guess they're coming back with the electric concept. Wait, what know. are they calling themselves now? Curtis. They bought the Curtis, Curtis name. Right. Uh, I th- I think I have seen a Confederate in real life once or twice, but only at shows or things. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen one in the wild. You're right. But in any case, I'm I'm not convinced that Arch produces a profit. I think Keanu just kind of floats that because he's a big bike guy. He wants to be a bike company owner, and that's fine. He if I had the money, I would support a failing motorcycle business, no problem. <laughs> I, I should be so lucky, right? Those those bikes do look sweet though. Do they? they do. They're not my that, oh, wait, that new four thirty one cup. It's wait, hang on, are we I do about get arch, or are we talking arch. about the arch ones? Okay, uh, yeah. The fourth, the new four thirty one. It looks okay. Insane. For a minute there, I thought you were talking about Curtis, and no, I am no, no. not on board with that. <laughs> right? Yeah, the arch ones are my cup of tea, but I get why people would want one. I, yeah. I understand what it is and what it's supposed to be. I get it, but yeah. So getting back to this thing, uh, what? what you said how much horsepower was it? Let's get into some specs on it. What were you getting for $38,000? We've talked about what you aren't getting. Wait, $38,000? That's not what I said. No, for $31,000. Oh, $31,000, sorry. You get like 168 horsepower and 123 foot-pounds of torque. Okay. Which is pretty monster. It's pretty that, good. Yeah, that that is. Um, Now, you could also pay... $3,600 and get 180 horsepower and 126 foot-pounds of torque for the MST-R. Did that look different? Uh, it had a few additional features and configuration options, but the main thing was that it had a different mapping, it had slightly higher compression, and you got um, titanium valves. Okay. But it's also it, it is still a two valve motor. And and that's really where it gets a bit weird where yes you can get these really boutique bikes but besides Arch Confederate Bimita and uh MV Augusta how many different companies have succeeded at this and how many more have failed? Well, that's an interesting thing. You can only have a few of them or other, otherwise it stops working. Right. Right. One of my employees just yesterday was talking to me about how dumb it is that Cardi B has a bunch of exotic sports cars and she doesn't even have her driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I said, well, actually it makes a lot of sense. It's good financial sense. Exactly. They're they're tax shelters. You can't tax someone owning a Lamborghini. Right? So they put money in them. And not only that, but they're kind of a lot of them are guaranteed to just increase in value faster than inflation. So it, it makes sense that Cardi B owns a bunch of those things. But only certain cars will do that, right? Lexus, uh, Lexus made the LFA. And they'll really probably won't make another car like that for a very long time or continued production of those or, you know, all these companies cap the number 
of the top end exotic car they do, you know, and you've got Lamborghini and you've got uh, Ferrari and you've got Koenigsegg and you've got Bugatti. And then the, you start struggling to come up with more names because if you get too many of those names, all of a sudden these high end cars aren't so elite and then they stop gaining value because they're common, right? So the same thing with the world of motorcycles and it's, and the, in the world of motorcycles is at best a 10th, the size of the world of cars, right? So you only have like a 10th of the size of these really high end bikes being made. So it might've been that there just wasn't enough room for a company like Modus. The concept works, but I don't know if it does though, because you have to keep in mind that while they were making these, Zero was already, what, 10 years in the making? And Zero is a company that that actually makes sense to the average person. And it makes sense to the market that was starting to really, in, the young market that was investing in motorcycles, which is young professionals who could then had a prestigious element of being environmentally friendly. What does this have over an MV Augusta or to somebody with the money in hand enough to go for a top of the line Goldwing or a top of the line BMW? Well, it's supposed to have some exclusive high end boutique element to it, but because it's crowding that space, it doesn't have that. Right. But it's also stealing elements from a lot of different bikes. If you saw this coming at you in the opposite direction on the highway, you wouldn't have noticed anything until the the split second it passed you and you saw that it was a V4. You wouldn't really notice anything past that because it's sort of a generic tourer in profile. Yeah. You're not going to see a lot of that. And you're not really going to get a lot of credit for it if you're kind of a classic, you know, true red-blooded American who wants to fly the flag because at a glance, it looks like a BMW kind of. Okay, I got it. If you spend, or if you spent $31,000 on one of these. On an American motorcycle. Maybe there's a part of you that just wants to have it just to have it. And that's good enough. But for certain, some small part of you, no matter who you are, wants to have the gas station conversation about it. It's impossible. Ferrari owners will talk about this, you know, Oh my God, it's such a hassle to drive this thing. Cause every time I fill it with gas, dudes have to come up and talk to me endlessly, whatever. But you know, the, the, the a motorcycle like this, a $31,000 motorcycle, you want to talk to people. You want to validate your purchase. But some dude that spent $7,000 on a used Ducati is going to get a lot more remarks at the gas station than this. No one knows what it is. No one knows it's exclusive. No one motorcycle a lot of motorcycle people wouldn't recognize it and know what it is so you're throwing money away in trying to get that 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 x factor out of it 
Can, oh, I, what's can I make our... a comment about this? Yeah, first. The I feel sorry for these these companies that are American made and they wanna they wanna build these bikes. And I think they got confused. They wanted to hit every market with the looks of this bike and you know, try and appeal to everybody. And it's it's impossible because the R the reason why it costs so much is the R and D, the 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 work that went into it, right? They gotta get yeah. some of that money back, right? That, that's true. It's like opening up a a mom and pop shop next to a Walmart superstore. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Do you know that's, what I mean? Yeah. Those people need to now raise the price at the, and then no one's yeah. gonna shop there. And that's mm-hmm. why they're okay. out of business. So if anybody actually went during our French motorcycles episode, went and looked at all of the French motorcycle manufacturers from yeah, yeah. nineteen forty and earlier, there's like two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. The vast, vast, vast majority of automotive companies fail. And the success rate is like 0.1%. It's, yeah, there is a graveyard of failed automotive companies. But I also think that when you look at this, I feel like there is an element, there is a sort of attitude with a lot of boutique companies where they kind of want to be special and they don't want to be associated with being American so much and they don't really want to fly the flag. But let's be real. A Triumph Bonneville with a green racing stripe might as well just be plastered in the Union Jack. Yeah. Every Ducati is flying the Italian flag, Uh as is every MV Augusta. And a lot of people will kind of go after Harley Davidson for being, you know, for saying, oh, you know, these colors don't run. We're super American. And then they'll, they'll accuse them of like flying that badge a little too much and making more money selling T-shirts than they do motorcycles, which I'm convinced if you go to your nearest import dealer they're selling more money in T-shirts for Ducati and Triumph than they are motorcycles. Oh, Triumph's clothing brand is huge now. Huge. As is Ducati's, as is Moto Guzzi's. It's a big thing. Yeah. And I feel like there's this weird, I don't know if it's really political, but there is this kind of, there's this weird shame aspect where nobody's willing to fly the flag as with any kind of national pride. And it's a weird thing because everybody's doing it, but they kind of feel like they're not allowed to do it over here. It's weird. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have much more to say about this motorcycle. It's confused. But yeah, does this look like $31,000 of motorcycle Not right at here? All. Not at all. No. All right. We ready to move on to best bike? I think we are. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is the 1989 to, I can't remember exactly when they finished. We'll, we'll get to that. Kawasaki ZX7R. Wait, really? Yes. What? Oh, no. This, no. This, okay, this is the other 
750. Now that one's pretty good, but actually, you know what? I'm going to take it back. The 1996 one is really the best. That's when it really becomes the bike that it should be. Wait, so, oh, 1996. Oh, so, you know what? I've done the same thing again. I'm in the worst bike mindset. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you just did worst bike. So the 1996 ZX7R is, I think, probably actually my favorite version. But all the ZX, yeah, that was uh, sharp. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I am totally on board. This is Redact everything I said. Perhaps the most 90s sport bike ever. And I'm going to just put it out there that any year, the green, blue, and white uh, color schemes on these motorcycles was 100% fucking awesome. And one of it's in the top 10 of greatest motorcycle paint schemes ever. Wait, could you get it with those blue anodized wheels? I don't know, but I think you could. I think they even made ZX sixes with the, with the anodized wheels. Yeah. It's pretty fucking sweet. Every version of it is awesome. The The paints change and the decals change every single year. Uh, specific, even when it's all green, it's fantastic. But it's not just awesome because of how it looks, although that is a strong reason. Because the way it looks is when you ask someone to close their eyes and imagine a sport bike, this is what they fucking think of. This is crotch rocket. This is irresponsible riding like in you know manifest as a motorcycle this is hooliganism this is just badassness so i called it the other 750 when we think about 750s we think about the cb 750 we think about the gsxr 750 and the s rad we think about the vfr the 750 but this was quietly one of this was quietly the best 750 motorcycle ever. Oh, it's also got the air scoops right next to the headlights that go all the way into the airbox. Uh-huh. And now in earlier years, the the this is yeah, in 96 this is when it goes ram air. But the earlier models that had the air ducts that come off the top of the fairing and then go into the gas tank. Those actually just cooled the head of the engine. They weren't actually Ram air, but in this year, uh, the year the S rad came out, the, all the Japanese manufacturers hit hard with, with Ram air and it becomes a big thing. So also pop quiz. Brolin. Yes. What does S rad stand for? Suzuki, Ram, <laughs> Air, Direct. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so this motorcycle comes out. Let's bring up some specs here because it's fucking impressive. Like, it's really impressive. Uh, oh, damn it, my computer's got... Can you bring up some, some specs? I had this up oh. on my computer went down. This is the part where you edited out, right? Yeah. The, normally this doesn't happen. <laughs> We're normally a little bit more prepared than this. No more pop quizzes. Oh, oh everything's really slow today. We see. That's a nice bike, though. Hey. Okay, I've got the specs. Uh, I got... So, 
We're talking 122 horsepower at the crank in 1996. We are talking about 60 foot-pounds of torque. Out of a 750 inline four, that's big. We're talking about 167 mile an hour top speed. Dual disc brakes, we're talking about, in 1996, 43 millimeter inverted forks. Well ahead of the curve there. We are talking about... That's crazy because the the R6 didn't get 43 millimeter forks until 2017. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was straight up a race replica bike and one of the early like really true race replica bikes. Now we said the GSXR 750 always was from the beginning really. Uh this was the first one where they had the R version and the regular version, right? So you can mm-hmm. get a ZX7 and you could get a ZX7R. This is where that really starts. That difference between, you know, now we would call those bikes the RRs, right? So all of this for a pretty low cost. I want to say these were somewhere around nine grand in the mid nineties, something like that. You'll have to fact check me on that, but it was not super expensive. I'm not going to fact check you on that because it's impossible to find good MSRP numbers. It's true, but it, it was, I, I remember reading somewhere that this was actually pretty damn affordable and the, 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 the performance is just off the charts. I mean, 122 horsepower, 750 in 1996. That's fucking crazy. That's still relevant today. That's what 600s make now with their fuel injection and and all of the the crazy things and the high state of tune, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got totally modern bike performance. You've got styling that's out of this world. But you know what you've also got? Pedigree. From 1989 to 1996, no, no, even longer than that, I think 1998, there's only two years of this bike's production. It did not win an AMA Superbike Championship. That'll do it. It's the best 750. VFRs weren't winning it. So what you're saying Suzuki's is weren't winning it. This, this was the best 750. Until 750s were irrelevant. Yes. This was, this is the best of a class. It's the best in the looks. It's the best in legacy. It's the best in value. It's the best in performance. I mean, it's the, it's a ninja, right? This is why the, this bike is why the ninja name is still solid gold. Because in the 90s, AMA Superbike was still a pretty big deal. People knew about it. People cared. I mean, hell, when Dale Quarterly, a privateer, won a race at Mid-Ohio on one of these, there were 50,000 people there cheering for a privateer act. He was funded by the fucking Ninja Turtles comic book. And, <laughs> right? And, you know, it was a lot more about the rider than the bikes back then. But still, this was, you know, a a privateer bought one of these and just fucking won an AMA superbike race out of nowhere. 
and everyone lost their fucking minds because they just like to ride her on a green bike dressed like a like a ninja turtle but also he had a great personality it was just a great underdog story but the point is is that this bike did those kinds of things and made those kinds of stories and had that kind of reputation and this was you know the ninja name was not very old in at this point right i mean the first bike to have a ninja sticker on it might have been this one like i'm not really sure which ninja was the very first ninja right mm-hmm. but i can tell you this for certain it's the it's the racing success of this and that really bold green color that just made that ninja name to this day a solid gold way to sell a motorcycle and the best name in motorcycles period yeah i'm actually this is one of those things this is where i'm really kind of sad that it's oddly with all of the newest kawasaki's we get the kawasaki green is the one we get the least of they're really moving away from it and that's sad there's putting little flashes of green in these otherwise matte black bikes. They look like Batman's bike. No. Yeah, it's, it's it's not good. Well, here's what's so great about the green is that not only is it where they made their name racing, but they chose green specifically because in Japan, green is the unlucky color. And Kawasaki made a statement saying... Our bikes are so good, we're going to paint them the unlucky color, and we're still going to win. And, you know, there's a great story in that, and they had this whole iconic era. And, I mean, you don't see Ferrari moving away from Rosso Corsa. Right. Why... Why is Kawasaki not keeping that up? Well, I'll tell you, if you want to bring your own Kawasaki into that Kawasaki green, because you could only buy it matte black or whatever, the formula for Kawasaki green is insanely simple. It's two parts blue, one part yellow. That simple. That's all it is. So you can make Kawasaki paint yourself. And one part awesome. And one part awesome, exactly. (laughs) It is fucking awesome. And who would have thought, you know? But... Every I don't know I going One back to how awesome, this bike looks not provided. <laughs> what aspect of this bike doesn't still look contemporary? Right, look at the swing arm. It's not square like every other one was. That is a race engineered swing arm right there. The twin spar frame is just big and beefy and strong, and I think still pretty modern looking. Honestly, what. I mean, it doesn't look new, but it only doesn't look new in the ways that something built for purpose kind of looks a little fucked up in that when you really zoom in on it, it almost kind of looks like a GP bike in that the fit and finish isn't great looking at this 25-year-old bike because... They were just making it to get the job done and to go fast, and we don't care what it looks like. Well, I mean, this is a consumer bike that we're looking at, but yeah, you're right. The, is the it, tank isn't. Is fit it with... really? I mean, look at this seat here. 
How much foam is on this seat? This is not a lot of compromise. That's how they came, though. That was the whole thing. Like, you're buying a race bike that's street legal. That's... Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is a consumer bike, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, the way the exhaust is mounted, it just, it's it's almost looks like a cheap, just metal clamp strap, just <laughs> riveted to the subframe. I get you. And... Yeah, it's kind of clear where the panels are screwed together. That wouldn't happen today. You, The tank and the frame have gaps in there that look a little odd these days. I'm with you. But overall, in person, it's actually a pretty sharp bike. It, and I think, though it doesn't follow the styling know, are, cues are... of today there's nothing really unmodern on here except for the carburetors like it's ahead of its time i mean these are all things that i would consider absolute charm on a bike like it's these are not negatives i'm saying these are all things that that would charm me you know like dad is obsessed with his cb750 you know, that was a bike that really symbolized a lot of things to him and in his younger years. And this really symbolizes a lot to me that I was aware of these motorcycles at the time. I was aware that these were badass. They weren't really my thing yet. I was still more of a Harley Cruiser mindset, but I was aware of these. And these things made an impression on me. And the people I knew knew about these. It was a common thing. Everyone knew what a ninja motorcycle was. It is, now that I think about it, it is very weird to think that what your idea of bikes were then and where dad came from, to think that you bought the Superhawk and dad bought the Ultra Classic. Yeah. Because you've kind of completely flipped directions. It's true. Especially since dad bought... A ZX6R. was a ZX6E, technically. And, you know, to be fair, I bought a ZX6E as well, which is the younger (laughs) brother to this motorcycle and a badass motorcycle in its own way also. But this is so much more. This is so much... Wait, did the ZX6E have the Ram Air? Yes. Did it? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember seeing that on your bike. There's a very small graded scoop underneath the headlight. Oh, so it's completely different from this or it's either side. This really shows off the Ram Air as a big feature. Absolutely. I, I don't know really I don't really know why we've gotten away from Ram Air. The more air, the faster. Exactly. Know, like, we're going faster. We're burning more fuel. I don't care if it's fake. Like yeah. it's a the, great the CBR six fifty R, I believe now is Ram Air, and I'm not aware of any other sport bikes that are. Are you? I am. The, the R six has to be still. I don't think it is. They, I don't think they allow it in racing. What Ram Air? For motorcycle race, I don't think they have it. I could Are you be high? Of course they do. do they, uh, That's natural aspiration. I guess How could so. they possibly not allow? Well, they must have figured air. with like aerodynamics or something, it, it, it hurts more than it helps or something. I don't know. But for whatever reason. Absolutely not. 
I'm impossible. just telling you, I don't think like current Jixer 600s are, are, are Ram Air. I don't think CBR 600RR is a Ram Air. I, I don't think they, I don't think R6 is a Ram Air. I think they found other ways to make power. You're probably right. Like the aerodynamics, you want the, the air to go around now. Even though it's making more power, you're just losing it. I don't know. I could be wrong. Listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. But I, I there's, I, there's obviously a reason because you just don't see it like you used to. I think the laws of thermodynamics say otherwise. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> getting back to the ZX7. Um. So it does have these uh, dual headlights, but you know that's even kind of a thing that's been coming back: split headlights rather than single lights. And were these these weren't split headlights though? Were they? They were um, dual bulb. Yeah, which honestly I think is better. I do too. It may be more expensive. It may be more prone to failure, but I like it. I do too. Everything about this is just awesome. And you can't convince me otherwise. And I challenge people. And when, as I have predicted many times, the 90s sport bike thing comes back, this will be highly prized. This and the SRAD and uh, VFR 750s, original ones, these are going to be a big deal. A big, big deal. And I think specifically these Ram Air models, 96, 97, 98, are going to be amongst the most collectible. And I think the red, sorry, not red, um, green, white, and blue ones will be sought after the most, even more than just the solid green ones and, and all of it. It's just, it just all adds up to awesome. The fucking Saved by the Bell hot pink and blue ninja logo is just fucking tits year after year. uh, The full body work has... It may not be the best of all time, but I don't know if it's ever been done better than on this bike, right? This equals any... I think it's up there with the Ducati 916 in how awesome it looks. That's a big claim, I know, but I mean, this really defines a, a genre and a whole look of bikes. Well, the nine five nine is it, it's doing its own thing. You mean the or what the nine one six? Oh, the nine one six. Yeah. Well, the nine one six was designed to be a fashion icon and win races. This is just whatever it takes. And then there were some cosmetic elements added on top. And that's always been the Japanese way, just to make it work. Because there is this very industrial mindset with the Japanese where they'll refine something and they'll just make it work. And then everything else kind of comes on after the fact. There is no elegance equation that gets thrown on on top. And wait, actually, what year was the nine one six? The nine one six was, I think, about this time, about ninety six to like two thousand and three. Ninety or from ninety six? I think the nine one six starts about ninety six. Okay, so it's a contemporary with this, absolutely. Okay, well, I've lost my train of thought. Yeah. 
<laughs> the 916 was ahead of this in having fuel injection and some other things, but this was, you know, four rack of carbs, just real big, breathing easy, guzzling gas, just all badass. This is not meant for comfort. It's not meant for touring. It doesn't have any nice gauges or anything like that. The cockpit is really bare. It looks unfinished. If you were going to buy a motorcycle like that today, you would have thought someone had broken into the dealership and stolen all the shit out of the dash of your bike before you got there to buy it. You mean like buying a Jixxer 750 today? It Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> bare bones in there. Well, the Jixxer 750 is a bike that, yeah, just hasn't evolved. It's just kind of like, here we are. Anyway, I, I can't think of a reason, in, in, uh, uh, an area or an aspect of this bike that isn't absolutely apex for what it is in its class. And for that, it, it's it's an all-time like great for me. And it doesn't hurt that it's it kind of marks a time and place for me anyway. But overall... I said the the racing winds speak for themselves, and it's it's been a little underappreciated. We've moved on to other ninjas, you know, ZX10s and and 14s and 636s and stuff. But this was the first real badass race winner. This one, this solidified that name and made it a name everyone knew. This 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 is the ninja that should come to mind. When someone says Kawasaki Ninja, yeah, cool. I I think we've uh, I think you've made the case. All right, yeah, we've been babbling on a lot. I think it's time that we bring in and talk to our guest. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's fire up some some telephone sound effects and see if we can get our guest in here. <laughs> okay. All right, so now we're talking with Aline Metz, and you are doing a TV show that looks pretty rad. Do you want to tell the people kind of who you are and why you're doing the show, what it's about, kind of prep us with the premise here? Yes, hi, everybody. Um, Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I am Aline Metz. I'm a filmmaker based in Vancouver, BC. Originally, I'm from Estonia, so I've been living in Canada for the past six years. I created the world's first TV show about women in motocross, and it's called Diaries of Badass Chicks. So this is what I'm doing right now. Uh, Currently... uh, We are on Kickstarter. We're raising funds to shoot the first season of the show um two years ago i entered uh, we entered a contest and we got the funding for the pilot so the pilot is out uh it's out on canada on vod channels and also on youtube got a pretty rad uh, pitch video uh for the kickstarter and we had women from all over the world send us videos for that from finland estonia from the states all over Canada. And uh, yeah, so that's up on Kickstarter as well. That's what I'm doing currently. <laughs> okay, so how long have you been working on this project? Um, I got the idea in 2014. Um, the reason why I came to Canada was I was a, a segment producer, foreign news editor, and a TV director in Estonia. And I wanted to 
and do acting. And I came to Vancouver because it is dubbed Hollywood North. And there's a lot of uh, films, Hollywood films uh, shooting here. At, at one point, I realized that there are no roles for badass women or substantial roles that have and that are interesting. So I was waiting for somebody to create a role for me, uh, to create a role about a woman who races bikes. It took me a couple of years to realize that I was the one who had to do it. Right. So let's see, you said you entered a, a contest to get the, the pilot made. What was that? What was that contest? What, what did you go through to get it that was, done? The, it was tell a story hive and they provide uh, local creators the opportunity to get um, funding to get their foot in the door, so to say, was the story hives web series pilot um, competition and we got in and uh, we made the pilot. Uh, it was a little bit crazy because their turnover times are very tight. And we got the funding in September and we got the money in October and we had to shoot in November. Across in November in Vancouver um, is a bit of a challenge. Uh, start gates were frozen over. And uh, there was snow, but we did it. Okay. And as I understand it, you are extremely involved in this project. Like you are maybe the biggest component of this project. You star in this, you write it, you produce it and direct it, like everything. Is that correct? Yes, I am basically the project. Um. <laughs> Yes, like we have started to bring in more people now because I can't do everything myself. Um, but this series is based on real life. It, but everything that happens in it is based on things that have actually happened to me or someone that's close to me. So when you say that, do you mean that it is this a is this a story? basically that's just based on on real women who ride or is this more sort of documentary or is it somewhere in between what's the actual um the actual classification is an action drama oh. so yeah there are some comedic elements to it um it's not a comedy but um I didn't want to do a documentary is that you cannot tell the stories in a way um, that you can with scripted. You don't want to talk in front of the camera and you just can't convey the same emotion. It's so much harder to do though. Documentaries are much easier to do than scripted. And um, so it's a, it's a big undertaking. Oh yeah, if you're if you're having to write a script and then develop a, a story arc and everything, that is definitely a lot more work than than just doing a a documentary. Mm. So you you said it's based on events in your life or people close to you. Yeah. Are 
and you said it's a, a drama series. So is mm-hmm. there, is it like a collection? Is every episode sort of a different story or is this going to be kind of an ongoing series? Like, and this is a terrible comparison. I, I know, but say like, you know, sons of anarchy where there's kind of a, a story going through the entire I- thing, or is this a collection of different stories? I kind of figured that you would bring Sons of Anarchy up because um, that's the thing. There is nothing like this out there. So people, you can't even compare it to um, another show because there's nothing like it out there. Um, In terms of the story arc, um, every episode, but there's an overarching uh, story arc with the whole series as well. So that we, we see the character develop throughout the series okay so it jumps around a little bit um it doesn't it's uh it's just kind of a natural flow it has like a kind of a natural flow to it but it it's still like every episode tackles like a different subject okay now Um, i got you uh because there are a lot of things that um um in this industry, when it comes to women, especially, um, I'm a very vocal. I'm very vocal about it. Um, oh, but for example, when sponsors are um, when sponsors want photo shoots for their female writers, they for men uh, looks a lot different than the photo shoots for women. So this is this is something that I have there as well. Because women who ride, they're they're badass. They're doing this, and it's not about their looks or how they look in a bikini or yeah. I'm riding for the love of it. Okay, and this uh, sh- uh, show features a lot around specifically women. You said in motocross, right? Yes. So we're we're kind of in store for a lot of racing action i'm gonna assume is that correct yes um not in every episode uh but in the first episode we had a race and since uh so that's the thing since there are no stunt women find 15 or 20 stunt women who do what the actual racers do we had the actual girls who race in the in the pilot so yeah we actually had a mock race and girls came from vancouver island which is several hours away from seven eight hours away um just to be in this race that we had in in the pilot that's sweet so it sounds like your um your production is kind of just becoming a little bit of a hub for the the women writing community then you're already getting the actual people who do this in real life involved so yeah. i would assume uh it might become sort of a bit of a, a who's who of of women racers pretty soon because you know mm-hmm. you're gonna have to knock down all their doors to to get all this done i'm sure and i'm sure they're gonna be stoked to be a part of it uh are there like some some special challenges you're running into in filming motorcycle racing it seems like it's probably not a very straightforward way to film something. Be like, all right, I need y'all to move as fast as you can, and I've got to capture that. You know, it seems like a bit yeah. of a challenge. Uh, because 
just like uh, you mentioned before as well, it's it's one thing to shoot a documentary and it's another thing to script the whole thing because you have to uh, think where the camera should be positioned. So and you do the retakes and retakes and uh, you have to let the people know that they cannot actually go 100 percent because it is not a race and you want them to be safe. Um, you want the action, but you don't want anybody to get hurt either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, I think we should talk about how you're moving forwards with this. You've got a Kickstarter going to really get this series going. As you said, you've got a pilot and some trailers and teasers and all that. But what you're really looking for right now, as I understand it, is some funding to really just complete the the whole first series. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah, so the Kickstarter, interesting thing that uh, we found was this community, community hasn't really ever been catered to in Kickstarter before, which is sad, but it's an opportunity, but it makes our job that much harder because people don't know what Kickstarter is. And they don't know what they have to do in order to help out. Everybody's very stoked about the show, but they don't. It's it's kind of been to let everybody know, uh, educate them about Kickstarter and how they can help. Because it's not like GoFundMe, because on GoFundMe, you just give the money and that's it. Um, really, really amazing prizes because we started the prep for the Kickstarter in November. And we have, like, I'm wearing it actually right now. Uh, we have a custom designed um, motocross jersey that is with custom print and it's hand sewn together just for just for us. And we will have a calendar shoot with like real badass motocross chicks. And we have DVDs and there's a lot of uh, about the different perk levels um, as well. If uh, if that's okay with you, uh-huh. so because on Kickstarter and you don't get anything back because all of the creators on Kickstarter they have to back. Um, the lowest level is one dollar, and that's Canadian dollar, so Americans get a discount. So it's like seventy cents in the tip jar. Uh, we're today we're adding another perk, which is five dollars, and it's a postcard sent to you anywhere in the world, and it's gonna have a personalized message from a cast member. And we're actually after the campaign is over, we're gonna make a day of it, and we're gonna live stream the whole thing and get the girls together and write out all the postcards. So it's gonna be really really fun to send them out um, to all the places in the world that have helped us out. Um, $10 is you can stream the series first access $25. You get, well, $10 gets the postcard as well. Um, $25. You get the postcard digital download your name in the credits. So you get to be on IMDb. Um, stickers, uh, $50. You already get the calendar stickers, postcard, DVD, Naming credits, um, yeah, digital downloads, 
and it goes up from there. $100 is a t-shirt plus everything from below. And there's going to be a big, big premiere in Vancouver with motorcycles and red carpet. Yeah, and the, and the jersey, and you can be in the show as an extra. And is an illustration from um, cool. Um, I love her. She's a very good book illustrator and artist. And she actually drew a big picture of me on my bike. So this is also one of the perks that you can get on the higher level. Okay. There's a lot of stuff. We're giving away a lot of stuff for the people who are helping us out. Yeah, it sounds like it. That That is a lot of perks. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of questions that are kind of similar. So mm-hmm. obviously this is a huge passion project for you. And oh, yeah. so I I have two questions for you. One is kind of where do you, where would, where would you want this to go in terms of the project itself, in terms of how successful would you like to see it on, like, say, Netflix or on a streaming service and get a deal there? And, you know, financially, how successful? What are you aiming for? And then also, what kind of effect do you want this to have on women in writing in general? Thank you for asking these questions. I'm going to ask, uh, answer the first one first. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, a streaming service is our goal. And uh, we are in talks with some of the distributors, but we need the Kickstarter to be a success for that because this is a this is a very niche audience and um, stories universal um, in the show. But still, the support from the community is very, very crucial and essential to this being a success. So where I see it is, that we absolutely uh, get a deal with a distributor um, to get it onto a streaming service and so that everyone in the world would see the show. Um, that's that's where I wanted to go. The effect uh, that I wanted to have on women and men as well. It's because a lot of a lot of couples ride together. It's like a family. It is a like we call it a moto family. So it is a family thing. Uh, the reason why I even make this series a big thing after the pilot is in the pilot I just told my story, and after that I started getting messages and emails from women all over the world telling their stories and they're telling their similar stories, and then I realized it's just. It's not just about me. There are so many women out there who are not um, seen or not noticed and um, uh, write to me and say, I'm 35. I'm a mom. I really, really want to ride dirt bikes. But everybody in my life says that I should get an ATV. But like you were older when you started out, right? I'm like, yes, I was. And absolutely get a dirt bike. Why would you not? I want to inspire women to take up the sport and to see that this is something that we do because we like it, not because our boyfriends put us up to it or, or that we thought it was cool. It's, it is cool, 
Um, but we do it because freedom and it gives us something extra that we need in our lives to have it because we have women here who are 60 and they're racing they don't have to be the first one they don't have to get the whole shot but they're doing it it's not about winning all the time it's about enjoying the sport of the moto family that's awesome (laughs) um yeah i think i think uh I, I pretty much everyone's got to be looking forward to this because I mean, you know, like you, you said, or I said earlier, you know, sons of Anakar is a bad comparison. I even disliked bringing it up because you're right. There's, um, there's a big hole and that needs to be filled with content like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, just something that shows a different view of motorcyclists in popular culture would be, I think appreciated by everyone regardless of, uh, the the specific messages and even the uh, the aspect of it um uh promoting women in motorcycling we just need more positive messages about motorcycling in general so you know yeah. first of all thank you there and then the added bonus that this is such a strong message to women really makes it a a really big win i think now uh, i want to take a step back from talking about the show for a second because like i said you're uh you're kind of the show. You're a big part of this. So I think it's important for us to get to know you a little bit. So we've got a few questions that we ask everybody we have on the show. They're not difficult, but they're kind of, you know, to get you to open up a little bit. So what we've got here, first, we want to know how long you've been riding. What was your first motorcycle and what are you riding now? I, are you ready for that story? Um, I was actually on the dark side, you wouldn't believe. Um, My whole life, I have hated motorcycles. I'm going to get myself a motorcycle. And I wasn't, not to say, but I wasn't letting my husband get a bike either. Um, Because he had, he had grown up um, building bikes. um, And Right. He's like, let's get a bike. And I said, nope, over my dead body. This means divorce. We're never going to get one of those death machines. Forget about it. So he forgot about it. Uh, I was working at uh, Primetime News as foreign news editor and a segment producer. And I was in charge of a segment at the end of the news, uh, newscast, um, which was called Most Watched YouTube Videos. I remember this day so vividly because it literally changed my life. Um, 3rd of January, 2012, when I saw the most watched sports video of the day was Dream Ride. Uh, Yeah, with Malcolm Stewart. And uh, it just, yeah, it changed my life. I when I saw that video, I was like, I want to do this. And two weeks later, I booked a lesson. Um, one of the world's first or like one of the world's only full size indoor supercross tracks. And um, they had a children's morning where they introduced children to bikes. And uh, I called them and they booked me in for the children's morning. And uh, I didn't know where the clutch was. I didn't know anything about bikes. 
and it was a Honda 100 something. It was small. And I got on the track the first day and I fell in love. And I think two or three weeks after that, um, I got myself a KTM 125. And that's, that's how it all started. So you went straight to the KTM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a, maybe, yeah. I, I still haven't ridden a KTM. I need to. That's on my list. That's on a serious to-do list of mine. I was going to test ride some at MotoGP this year, but some things got in the way and scheduling was wrong. But that's cool. Okay. I love, I so, love the KTM. Even my, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but even my uh, car is French. Oh, there you go. So you just bleed orange. All right. Okay. Um, so our second question we've got here, in all the time you've been riding, what's sort of the, the biggest or most significant thing that's happened to you while you've been riding? Um, first of all, I'm going to finish the first one. I forgot to mention the bikes that I have right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I thought you still had the KTM. Or you probably have a KTM of some description, I'm sure. That was in Estonia. That was in Estonia. Then I moved here to Canada. Um, Actually, on a side note, um, because I didn't have a coach or anything, and uh, I think four or five months in, I... And my coach, uh, one of my coaches, because in Estonia, it works differently. There's a club. You join a club and the club is responsible for you, um, they're, they're not going to let you race until you're ready. And uh, one of the coaches was uh, Thomas Triza, who was the guy who won the Dakar Rally uh, in the Malamoto class two years ago. Okay. That's the class where there's no support system. He was his own. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's it's a hardcore class. Um, yeah, and then I moved here. So right now I have a KTM 250 SXF, and for street I have a Prelia Dorso Duro 750. Ooh, okay. <laughs> that that is another bike that we've been we've been very curious about and need to get a test ride on as well. All right. Oh, so- you'll love it. You'll love it. The V twin is just everything about that bike is is just badass well the vast majority of motorcycles we own right now are v-twins so yeah it's right up our alley okay (laughs) so yeah um yeah like i was saying is there a significant moment uh or or a thing that's happened whilst you've been you've been riding you know for some people it's a big trip some people it's a an accident some people it's just you know someone they met on a ride or something is there a is there a, a story about, um, I mean, obviously you have lots of stories about writing. You're making a whole TV series about it. But is there, is there one interesting one that uh, you could share with us right now? Um, well, I can share a couple briefly yeah. um, because things always happen to me. And I guess it's because I'm meant to put them in my show. Uh, the spark for the show came from from um, to a race and uh, I got third place actually. And I went to pick up the trophy and they said that, 
oh, we don't have trophies for women. And uh, yeah, and they didn't. So they had trophies for men up to fifth place, but there was like, there was a plaque for women. Hmm. And this, this was the episode was about because it's not about the trophy, but it's about being recognized. So that was kind of, that was kind of what sparked me to get the show going. Um, on a more positive note, um, woman in Canada to jump my dirt bike onto an airbag. And that is something uh, freestyle for myself. Um, is also, there aren't a lot of way, places to do it here. Um, that really changed the perspective for me about jumping. I really like jumping. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've and, never jumped a motorcycle. Uh, when you, you say uh, jumping this bike onto an airbag, um, yeah. what, what, how big was this airbag? Uh, I, I have to look it up. I think it's 20 feet wide, 20, uh, because the ramp was nine feet and we pulled it 17 feet from the airbag. So I was probably 20, maybe 20 feet up in the air as well. Okay. That's a pretty serious jump. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely more air than I've ever gotten. We can (laughs) safely say that. Okay. Uh, why were you doing this? I don't know. Because I, because I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And it I was did. just a Tuesday. And yeah, I'm just going to go just take this bike 20 feet in the air. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Were, were you, is it like a part of like a, a show or something? Or is this like just an exhibition? Or you just had the facilities to do it? Um, yeah. They... A company purchased the airbag and they usually do it with um, uh, mountain bikes. And they're like, oh, well, since it is the the airbag is strong enough to hold a dirt bike, they opened it up for dirt bikes. And I was the only woman there, of course. And uh, I did it. Gone back several times now. See, this is. This is the real power of socialized medicine. You can just show up somewhere somewhere with a motorcycle airbag that you can jump onto and someone says, Hey, can I give it a shot? Yeah, go for it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. There's no way that would ever happen here. Yeah, you can, yeah. Yeah. There's there's too many for yeah, okay. All right. So that's good. Now uh we've got one last interview question for you, and this is the big one. Do you think you might be a different person when you're riding a motorcycle? Definitely. That's not even a question. I'm still me, but I'm on a motorcycle. Friend, it it feels when you're riding a motorcycle, it feels almost illegal. Yeah. It feels forbidden. It feels like it shouldn't shouldn't 
be this alive or 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 maybe they should that's the thing everybody should feel it mm -hmm. it's so much more it gives you so much more excitement it's like your all your senses are or are heightened super woman yeah all right okay yeah now let's get back to the sh uh, your show for a minute there uh for a minute here um you said that you or, you know you're trying to get the series finished with mm -hmm. your your crowdfunding uh what would you see the time frame being in this appearing on you know potentially a, a streaming service or tv are we looking at one year two years six months um, yeah well i'm glad you asked since um film is not it's not an overnight thing and uh our pilot was finished it has taken us a year and a half to get to this point of starting the crowdfunding so for this timeline i've actually outlined it in the kickstarter as well uh, where we see it going right now is we will have the calendar shoot this um end of summer, start of fall, uh, kind of in August, September, so that the calendar, the 2020 calendar can come out um, in time for Christmas, for Christmas presents. And the actual show itself would shoot next summer, like midsummer. And uh, then it depends on how long we, what the deal would be with the distributor, what the, how the music licensing goes. And uh, so the earliest um, expected or anticipated uh, release date would be December 2020. Okay. I, that sounds, that sounds almost too fast, you know, for how big this is. How many, how many episodes do you think you're going to shoot? Um, well, right now we're planning four or five extra. So we have one, we have the pilot and uh, we want to shoot five more. Uh, but you are right uh, in the sense that this is this is already getting big, which is exciting because this is what we need. Our people are um, kind of rooting for it and interested in it. We have to make sure that this is really high quality and high quality doesn't come cheap or fast. Um, we really need to find the balance of product to our audience okay so all right so another five episodes that's just kind of get it started and then hopefully as the show would be picked up you would be able to get more funding and episodes made from there yeah uh, how much funding yeah. are you looking for on your on your um your kickstarter on kickstarter we're looking for 136,000 canadian and which is exactly 100k us so this is Probably not going to cover the whole costs of the show, but this is enough to get us started. Okay. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, it almost sounds like a low number. Like you should be asking for more. I feel like enough people want something like this. It, yes. it seems very marketable. It seems like what I, I can't imagine anyone that wouldn't want to see this show. Right. Yes. Uh, that's I, I can't do it. I don't know anyone personally that wouldn't want to. So 
um, yeah, I think I think you'll hit that goal, and hopefully you get a lot, lot more. And you know, hopefully we're doing something to help you here. You know, helping you get the word out. Um, Definitely. I really, really appreciate that because it is about bringing together the community, whatever bike we ride, because we all ride and that's what matters. So it's just just getting the word out and getting the people to understand what they to help us out. Okay, cool. Uh, have you guys got any more questions? Uh, I had one. Jeez. One sec. It's not live. There's no rush. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. I thought I... Hmm. I can talk about my trip to Peru. Yeah. In the meantime. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, what um, what, 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 what did you get going in Peru? Um. Yeah, that was in March, April. That was... I came back literally a week before we shot the pitch video. Mm-hmm. And uh, we rented the Honda Rally 250s there. And we just rode around in the Sacred Valley. The, they say that you never want to ride in the dark there. and uh, But everything operates on Peruvian time. So we were supposed to uh, receive the bikes at 2 p.m. And it ended up being 5 p.m. And then we were like thrust in. It was just me and my husband. It was just us two. And um, carry on luggage. And we went to like a small store, got rope and roped all of our luggage into those bikes. And uh, and we drove like we rode across those. I, I just thinking about it now, I'm like, this is this is dangerous what we did. So we rode those across the Sacred Valley to our uh, Airbnb, which was on a rock, on a mountainside, in a jungle. With the, it wasn't it wasn't on the map. We were trying to find the, but we couldn't, and it was dark. So I was trying. I was messaging with the owner of the place, and he's like, "Just turn left there and turn left at the church." And it was like a small dirt road. Reading, I turned left at the church, and. All of a sudden, I fell into a ditch. And it wasn't a ditch. It was actually a sewage So with my bike. And um, it was pitch black, pitch black dark. And uh, yeah, so my husband fished me out of there, the bike out of there. And uh, we finally out. And then all the commotion came. Uh, with like a bunch of like 10 kids in the middle of the night and he's, he wanted to know what I'm doing on his property. Uh, but I didn't speak any Spanish. He didn't speak any English. And I think he was drunk and more than drunk. Maybe he was high as well um, on coca leaves because where. And uh, we didn't understand each other. And he finally understood where I wanted to go. And he led us to the place. Uh, we got there. Uh, we parked our bikes. Uh, and we went to bed. And 5 a.m., I get a phone call. And I, I see that I had 30 missed calls from the bike rental place. I called him back. And, and he asked me, do you have your uh, 
registration and license and i'm like yes he's like are you sure you have them i'm like yes please go and check that you have them so i went to my jacket and and that guy told me that a villager had found it on a highway like 15 kilometers where we were staying and the villager didn't have a phone so he went to a pay phone and we had to meet him on a specific bridge at 8 a.m. that morning. And uh, what happened was we were looking for uh, for our Airbnb, and I just pulled out my phone from my uh, breast pocket, and and the papers just went flying. Lucky break that the papers didn't go missing because it would have cost us a lot of money and that company a lot of money because the bureaucracy in Peru is, is insane. And we went there, we went to the bridge at 8 AM and uh, the guy wasn't there. The bike rental place uh, was freaking out and we waited a half an hour and then he came on a motorcycle and we gave him 50 soles, which is like, I think $20. And uh, yeah, that was the recent story that this is, this was my first time um, abroad traveling on a motorcycle. Okay, so, so let me get this straight. You're, you're recounting this as a sort of memorable and even possibly enjoyable experience. But so what I'm hearing <laughs> is you flew in, had a, a, a late rental service, had to ride in the dark in an unfamiliar area, fell into sewage was sort of accosted by local children and a drunk man high uh, from chewing the leaves of a plant used to make narcotics. You then went to uh, a hard-to-find place to stay. You got a call that you were being extorted for your own uh, information and paperwork then you were almost stood up, but then eventually had to pay a stranger to get your paperwork back. And this was like a vacation for you. <laughs> oh, if you put it this way. Yeah. But... Okay. You, you're not easily scared. Are you? Well, it's, it's no. slightly, it's slightly more stressful than like trying to meet your friends on the weekend in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you gotta be here at twelve fifteen. Yeah. Like yeah. You gotta be there. There's no cell phones. <laughs> Ten years away. Yeah, it was it was definitely because we didn't know because the bridges didn't have names and it was really like a tiny, tiny footbridge. Yeah. Very violent river. Yeah, okay. that, that's that just seems like poor planning on the scammers part, to be honest. Uh, yeah, but they found it, so and they called in, so I guess they knew that they were going to get money. Yeah. yeah, of course they called you. It's also were... the first time I've heard anyone say, we need to get our luggage on these motorcycles. <laughs> Let's get some rope. Yeah, because there wasn't anything else. There was literally, there were no motorcycle stores, nothing. Although there not... was one hard Yeah. Now, now that I think about it, that's probably what most people... What the majority of motorcyclists in the world actually do, but I... yeah. that rope helped us so much when we went 
uh, the next day when we went, we got a cardboard box and we, we got, we put beers in it. I rode in the back. I was like, I, I rode behind him and I'm like, I'm just keeping in my eye on that box so that it doesn't fall off because there's a lot of uh, speed bumps in Peru and they're not marked. So you sometimes get a very unpleasant surprise when going faster than you should. Okay. You got any more big trips like that planned? Uh, we wanted to go to Bolivia to the salt flats. Um, because we were accosted by, when we went to the West Coast, we were accosted by, it was actually a scarier experience because if you've heard of the police there, what they do, do you want to hear that story? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, going down from Lima to Paracas, um, because there's sand dunes there. You can you can snowboard in the sand dunes uh-huh. in Peru. So of course, we want to do that. Um, going down from Lima to Paracas, there's a stretch of highway. Uh, we didn't know that there's a stretch of highway where there's presence and they um they use their binoculars and hunt down all the people who are white basically and pull them over uh with false accusations so when we were going down they said that we were speeding we were doing 90 in a 100 zone of it they took our passport our um uh, driver's licenses and they're like, no, they took out a small book and said, the law, this is this is the amount you have to pay, which was 700 US dollars. And we said, we don't have that kind of money. So basically reached in, took our wallet, took the money out of our wallet. And sadly, we had just gone to an ATM and oh. we didn't follow the advice of, of spreading the money around in your pockets, like putting it everywhere and not keeping it in one place. Yeah. So they so they got away with 120 Canadian dollars. It was a like it was a we were shook. Like we we were shaken up by that experience and when we after that when we got to they they spoke very good English though. They're like, "Hi my friend." And then they would just went to the juggler. So it's like we went to the hotel and the guy at the hotel says, no, this is not okay. Uh, they're trying to combat this in Peru now. Um, and he gave us a, a very good advice. He is like, um, what you should do when you go to, to uh, South America is take, a, uh, take color copies of your passports, of your driver's licenses. It's good if you take a color copy of your driver's license and laminate it so that it looks like a driver's license so that they can you can just give it to them right um so that they don't have anything of of yours and with same with the passports as well um so they made copies for us at the hotel and we when we were going back a couple of days later same stretch but we i had my ways app open we because they have to have uh, you have to have the headlights on all the time there um, we were not speeding, and then we see the blue and red behind us, and they stopped us. And you know what they did? The minute we reached into the glove box for our papers, they reached in and turned off our headlights. 
And, and then they're like, well, your lights are not on. You're going to get a ticket. And my husband looked at the guy, turned on the headlights and said, the headlights are on. Uh, mm. So it was, and the other guy came to the, to the passenger window on my side and they both were like, they took out the same, same small book uh, with the numbers on it and started to point, well, this is how much you have to pay. No. He's like, well, then we have to go to the police station. I'm like, okay, let's go. And he's like, no, you don't understand. We have to go to the police station. I'm like, yes, please, let's go. I'll follow you. Uh, and then they still, like, they were press pressing us, like, give us money. And then I just snapped. I told, I asked them in Spanish, okay, what what's your names? And then I turned around and started to write down their uh, license plate number. And flew back in the car, and they're like, okay, you can go. It sounds like with these trips, like, these could just be episodes of your show. <laughs> it's not over yet. <laughs> um we pulled up, like, uh, pulled off, and uh, it was a highway, so we started to accelerate, but there was a bend. So we came around the corner, pulls us over, not even like 150 meters away from the first one. Pulls us over, I'm like, what now? And he's like, you're going too slow. Serious? We were just pulled over, we were accelerating what are you talking about? And then he tried to make up a story about this being a cartel area and it's not safe and, and you need to pay. It. But it's still like, I was like adrenaline was rushing because you don't know if they have guns or like what, what they're going to do. But I wasn't, I was calling their bluff. I'm like, no. And uh, yeah, so they let us go as well. All the, everybody who was a foreigner pulled over. Have to be mindful of when there. Yeah, I guess that is, that is, an, um, that is an aspect of, oh, we're getting some feedback. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that that is an aspect of kind of, of just being on a motorcycle, I would imagine that if I got when I if I get pulled over on the motorcycle, I guess I've only been pulled over on the motorcycle once. But if you get pulled over on a motorcycle, you are you're definitely in a different mindset than you are in a car. Whereas mm -hmm. in a car, you might feel you're lower down, you feel a bit vulnerable. If you get pulled over on the bike, especially if you're on, you know, kind of a sort of adventure vacation where you're doing a lot of miles and everything it does put you in a different mindset where you're not really going to put up with that as much and you're kind of you're going to be in a different mindset where you're going to figure out what their what their game is a little bit quicker mm -hmm. yeah no definitely it was a learning experience and yeah it was the price for the lesson first time but not the second time anymore we weren't having it yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I have remembered my question now. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you earlier said that, you know, before when your husband suggested you guys get a bike, that yeah. you said, over my dead body, this is divorce material right here. Given 
how what your mindset was then and what it is now, what would you say to your past self to convince you that getting a motorcycle was a good idea? I would tell myself to just give it a chance. Just try it. Know how it felt. You what that's the thing. I only knew what sons of the shows that are sons of anarchy has told me, has told the audience any better. I didn't know how it could look or how it could feel or how how you could see through like through the silver screen, you could see the passion like ooze through. Like I didn't have that. And that's how that's why the Dream Ride video affected me so much. I didn't know. But at that point, I guess I was open to it. I would just tell myself to just give it a chance. Okay. So we've been running about an hour here, uh, which is pretty good. Um, this has been really great. Um, I feel like we could just keep going on and on forever because <laughs> you've got you've got clearly a lot of stories. I and do. I, I think it might be better just to uh, just to let some people discover some of them through your show. We don't <laughs> want to spoil your entire season here. So, uh, yeah, it's been absolutely wonderful having you. And if you just want to say one more time where uh, people can go to help you out and give you funding and, you know, maybe if there's just if there's one thing you want people to know about the, the show before before you go. Um. Yes, so this is the world's first TV series about women in motocross, but it celebrates everybody who rides a bike. And right now, we're trying to get the funding through Kickstarter. So what you have to do is go to Kickstarter and financially. Um, You get really cool perks. We have calendars, we have jerseys. Uh, so you get a lot back and you get a DVD when the show is finished. And you actually, there's even um, a chance for you to be in the show. Um, what I want people to get from the show is to feel what we feel when we ride and then be inspired by it to cycles a chance. All right, cool. Uh, I think that says it all. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll uh, take a little break here and um, come back with another segment or who knows, this might be the end of the episode. We'll see. All right. So uh, thanks so much for coming to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me. And right. uh, yeah, let's hope that together we can do this. Yeah, no worries. All right. We are explorers. Adventurers. Freedom seekers with a desire to find something more visceral than the road already laid out. Finding new, undiscovered paths through every bend. Getting in touch with a lone wolf inside. No longer caged. Free to grow with every twist of the wrist. Riding gives us focus. Focus gives us clarity. Clarity directs our attention to what matters most. 
Biker Gear Club's curated boxes gives you the ability to keep you and your machine primed to go wherever you want all year long. Get your box by subscribing at bikergearclub.com. Come ride with us. We're going places. All right, we're coming back in from a break. We probably just heard from Biker Gear Club. You know, we should take a moment and talk a little bit about Biker Gear Club, in fact. If you didn't hear the last episode or you've been living under a fucking rock, we have a sponsorship thing going on. Every month, Biker Gear Club is giving away a box to one of our listeners. All you have to do is go to bikergearclub.com slash nokomoto, sign up, and you might win a box. Help support our show. Help support Biker Gear Club. It's a win-win-win for everyone. It's badass. It's our first sponsorship, so, you know, like, we'd really appreciate it if you help us out with this. And... You know, I think it's a pretty cool product. You can go back and listen to the episode we did, episode 69 with Bob, the CEO from that company. And there we go. That's enough about that. Brolin, have you signed up yet? I have not. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from Canada. They shipped to Canada. Oh, damn it. Yeah. That was my only excuse. Like pretty much everywhere but <laughs> South Africa and Japan, it seems. Um, I'm going to look into it, though. It sounded really awesome, actually. Get it together, man. I, I can't do monthly, man. I'm on a budget. This it's is a, free. It's a contest giveaway. Oh, I, I giveaway. can sign up for that, but I might get the actual box. It sounds good. Like sign up for their actual boxes. So. You're killing me. Yeah. You're killing I don't know me. what to say. All right. All so right. now Swiggy's going to read the emails. We don't have too many this week. What do we got? So we got one from Wesley. Okay. A serial emailer. And he says, thought you guys might appreciate this. Feels like it's in MotoGP's wheelhouse. Best worst bike contender. Look at this on eBay. And he has linked us a VFR 400. And to which I say, shame, Wesley. Shame. We already did that as the best bike in the world. I Obviously. did that. Yeah. Uh, but it is the best bike, and it is worth mentioning one more time because I said to him, well, he linked us a one for going for what, about six grand, something like that? Eight grand? How much was it? Uh, this one was for... Oh, this is for four grand. No. Was this for four grand in the U.S.? Which, if it has a title, is actually a very... No, that's compelling. I thought it was like eight grand, which I thought was too high. Oh, wait, no, the listings ended. I'm lying. This is for something similar, which is not similar at all. Sorry. No, I'm lying. (laughs) I'm lying completely. Uh, No, this was for six grand, which was kind of highway robbery. Right, because you can get them for two grand, two and a half at auction in Japan, import them. So more like four grand's worth is kind of what it's really worth. But it's still super awesome. And they're really expensive in the UK. So that's a good place to import, export, make a little cash on the side. And now they are over 25 years old, so you can get around a lot of the laws with importing them. Look into the VFR 400 or listen to our episode where it's the best bike in the world this week. 
But hey, you know, we appreciate it, Wesley, even though you haven't heard every single episode of our show, which you absolutely should. We like that you're thinking a lot like us. So there we go. And is definitely up my alley. So 90s. Can I can I defend Wesley right now? What's that? You guys need to post your best worst bikes on your up uh, on your website. On the side. It's because the show you have notes. 100. I know. <laughs> I've gone through them. There's 140 now, right? 140 bikes. Yeah. Right. Like for a guy to remember that, it's it's a it's a big call. Well, I forget too. I accidentally did the Harley Roadster twice. <laughs> yeah, you, did, you did. <laughs> I should also actually post every single episode because I have not been keeping up lately. Just, oh yeah. <clears throat> and we should actually make a a best and worst index that people there's can a lot look up. right and it's, yeah. it's cool to look like if you if you did have the bike you could just go back and look at it yeah that's true or whatever right? we'll get I to work on that we should do that constructive criticism thank you Roland. <laughs> all right we'll keep you around so <laughs> next email so the next email is from mark who says curses upon you on your best worst bike <laughs> and he says i've sent out mm, I know. Oh, that's uh, that's a spelling mistake. He says, I've spent hours reading about and hunting for a TW200 in the last 24 hours since I listened to you guys talk about that bike. This is going to cost me. Somebody called it a farm bike. Oh, I can write off farm equipment on my taxes. That's it. Darn you anyway. Just today, I was talking more about how I need a TW200. Broling can attest to this. When we were up riding in the mountains, I said, look, see all this space here? This is why we need two of them. We put them in the back of your truck, ride up to some place with public lands, and just tool around for hours having stupid fun. Now, if we turn the podcast into a company, we could also write these off. Yeah. Now we're... Th- yeah. Synergy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so is that it, it for emails, or do we got any more? Uh, that's it. Okay. There were a couple other personal ones and shout-outs and things, but we took care of those otherwise. So we have a crash report to get to now. We do. Oh, I just thought you'd have, like, a, a little sound, a sound effect. effect for <laughs> you should have a sound effect for the crash. Um, You should have a sound effect for the crash report. Well, I would, except... My phone has died. So How often do to... you expect us to have a crash report? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going in the episode. <laughs> Jeez. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Roland. What a fail on my part. <laughs> Okay, so without a sound effect, what set this up, set the table. How did this happen? What did you crash? So I did crash the Futura. And as you can guess, wasn't so much a time. It was uh it was so this was the dumbest crash I've had so far by a long way. 
And the reason I say that is because, well, I was riding with the Moto Men uh-huh. last, uh, <clears throat> last Friday, and it was a weird situation where I was kind of in a rush because the Aprilia had been sitting for a while and the battery had died. So I was, you know, and they were only in town for one more day. So I was kind of rushing to get the bike ready to be able to go ride with them. And as a result of that, I had just gone to, well, for one thing, I gave you my jumper cables a while ago and I didn't get them back. And I went and bought a new set of jumper cables. Hold on. I have no memory of anything happening with jumper cables. I'm very sure that you have my jumper cables. I believe you. I just, I have no memory of this. I don't. This is probably a while ago, but I gave, I gave you my jumper cables and it may be that Mike has them because I gave you, I gave them to you when the battery on the W650 died, which was quite a while ago. It was probably last summer. In any case, I went out and had to go buy jumper cables, jump the bike off my truck, get going, and everything was a bit of a rush to get out the door, to go meet up with the motor men, to go ride. And in that whole rush, I didn't swap. First of all, I didn't swap the tether over for the Helite. Actually, you know, we're not going to bring that up. I'm strike strike that from the record. <laughs> oh no, that's going in the episode. <laughs> the only time you've ridden without the helite since you got it, you crash. That's no, significant. I had, I had the helite. I didn't have the tether. Wait, were you wearing the helite, but it didn't go off because you didn't have the the tether? Well, yeah, because it has my it has the only because I took the back protector out of my jacket. Wow. <laughs> So you crashed in a Helite jacket that didn't go off. Yeah. Through my own fault, yes. Okay. All right. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Let's keep going. You couldn't even let me get away with that. No, no. no. The, okay. the, the, <laughs> the irony there is strong. Uh, okay. So, anyways, we went out riding, we went up to Blackhawk, and we went around, because they were up on, um, we went around 119 and 72, mm-hmm. which won't shock you, our highways, but we're not going to get any more specific than that. Yeah, no Anyways, we actually stopped in Blackhawk as the sun was going down, and they said, hey, we're going to keep riding back up to where we're staying are you up for that? It's another 20 miles. Like I was like, yeah, okay. And we kept going. And what really happened that screwed me over along with my own stupidity was we started riding in the daylight. It got dark. And then mentally I didn't have that switch over from daylight riding to night riding Mm -hmm. and we were going through a lot of twisting roads which would have been excellent in the daytime 
But in the dark, you can't ride like you ride in the daytime. And I didn't have that mental switch over to say, okay, now we're riding in the dark. I've got to be more careful. I kept dry, I kept riding like I was riding in the daytime. And it was a little bit extra because of the fact that uh, Black Wolf in front of me had those ridiculous lights that he had on his tiger. And I didn't have the same lights. So the whole time that I was keeping up with him, I had a full view of all the corner and everything, every single turn, because I had the benefit of his lights. But as it got darker and darker, it got a little bit harder and a little bit more hard. And then... I couldn't keep up with him and I wasn't really riding my own ride because my calibration point was, well, I'm keeping him up with him on this big touring bike and I can do everything he can do on my sport bike. But as soon as it really got dark and he started to pull away from me because not only did he have, a, did he have all these lights, he also had a big GPS unit in front of him that told him what every corner looked like. Right. And I didn't have all the same references he did. And at a certain point, it got dark enough, and we hit a really sharp turn. I didn't have full visibility of the corner. And I didn't do the corner quite right. And I ended up going wide. And then because... We were so wide, I wasn't, I couldn't see all the way through the turn. I ended up staring pretty much off a cliff. Oh, wait. Target fixated on the edge of the cliff that I was about to go off of. And after I target fixated, locked the brakes, stood the bike up, went off the road. Almost chucked it down the cliffside. Uh-huh. And went down. Wasn't a lot of fun. Right. Yikes. So what was the damage to you and the bike? So... Like, everybody who doesn't suffer a concussion... I didn't even really fall over. I kind of rolled and landed on my feet and immediately was like, oh, I'm okay. Everything's fine. We're good. Oh, shit, the bike. And then 30 seconds later, holy shit, I'm fucked up. Right. As everyone does. And it was... I don't know if this is something that I've gotten to as a as I've got come to in a mental place, but it still kind of hasn't really hit me too much that the bike is all fucked up. Yeah. But it was kind of like, well, yeah, the bike's fucked up. This isn't great, but this is where we are. I kind of came into that mindset pretty quickly, like five or six seconds after the bike was fucked up. Yeah, now, I took a look at the bike, and it's all scratched up on one side. 
and your turn signal mirror is completely gone on one side. And you say it's leaking oil? Well, it was leaking something. Okay. But it was def it did it definitely didn't leak four liters of oil. Right. Now I hate to break this to you. I think that bike is completely totaled. You can pay completely out of pocket to fix it, but you're going to pay the full value of the bike to do that. You might be better off buying another Futura and having a parts bike at this point. This is tough to accept, but the bike didn't cost that much to begin with, and finding bodywork for a Futura is next to impossible. You guys have talked about this before, about what happens when the Futura breaks down. Well, we were or, talking about the Norge, yeah. And but the, but this way, all applies to the Futura. Exactly. Well, you say that, but... How much, besides the turn signal and the scratches to the seat and the subframer and the plastics on the seat, how much actual damage is there? That's enough. Is it so, well, no. Let me... A full set of used scratched fairings all around the bike will cost you at least two grand. Oh, absolutely. However, why why go and replace those parts when they're worth the full value of the bike? Because I then I'm just in the hole for what I already have plus a whole nother future. Right. But if the whole bike is intact, we can just sand down the plastics because the plastics are wholly intact. They're just scratched. And this is where we can just do a full vinyl wrap on the bike and restore it that way. If it's purely cosmetic... And every part of the bike that hit the ground is cosmetic. A vinyl wrap solves all of these problems. Possibly. I mean, now if... it'll never resell. Yes, this is now a money pit in that. <laughs> Fortunately, it's only a $3,000 money pit. Yeah. I didn't crash a brand new Mastercraft. Okay. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, yeah. Or I'm I'm trying to think. Like, get creative. What else can you do with it that sort of masks it? Like, because it has, because it is the Futura. Could you make it a sort of like dystopian Futura? Is there sort of like a Mad Max direction <laughs> to go with this bike? That well, I could I could low side it on the right side. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's an option. Yeah, make it match. <laughs> Did you see that Camaro today? We drove by. He was on the left, and it was sanded down, and it was like purposefully. 
I don't remember like, the Camaro. Ba- like rusted up. Distressed. Kind of, yeah, distressed. <laughs> like like an 80s Camaro or something. I'm like, there's just I remember the two Lamborghinis rust. that got pulled over on the... <laughs> yeah. I gave him such a big thumbs up as we went yeah. by, and I couldn't tell if they were amused or really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and then just whined on the throttle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what the other option is? What's that? I could go get the proper clip-ons for the Melee, put those on it, and it could just be my track bike. That's very possible. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. As long as the rest of the bike is good and we can just verify that it's solid, it could be a track bike. Can I can I put in one problem with that? Is if you do crash it, that's it. Right? Well, how is that different from crashing any other bike? <laughs> Well, well, typically a track bike you can lay down, and it'll be fine. But if you break something on the Futura, you can take the plat. Well, actually, no, you can't really take the plastic. Can you off get race- really can no you get frame. race plastics with the Futura? Yeah, yeah, I guess that shark skins probably doesn't do a, a <laughs> package for the Futura. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I even the most generous of Alibaba suppliers. <laughs> probably don't have a kit for the future. <laughs> yeah, that is an issue there. Mm. So you're going to have to send is... these fairings to a real pro because they're going to, there's going to be some gouges and stuff in them. That's going to be filled in. It, this is, you're going to need to send it to someone who's a, a real pro like they're gonna it's gonna have to get sent off to a real body shop where you say look i don't want you to do everything except paint it and then it's got to go to a vinyl shop i can't imagine it's that complicated you know what here's what we do and i think this is where we can we can end the listen the the end the episode too check it out what if we challenge the listeners to come up with what if we challenge the listeners to come up with the the livery the livery for a vinyl wrap on your futura yes what <laughs> what kind of prize could we give for this Well, you can definitely call in and be a guest for the entire episode. I think that's a safe one we can bet. If you're awesome enough to come up with a sweet livery that works. Well, given our track record, I don't know if we can hand out stickers. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we get new stickers, you'll definitely get stickers. That's for sure. And we'll, we'll do something else special for you. You can be on the show. There you go. I would even accept if someone can just redo the current Ianone Aprilia library and transfer it to make it work on Futura bodywork, that would be pretty fucking sweet. Because I'll tell you what, while it's easily the worst bike on the GP grid, it is definitely the best livery. It's definitely the best livery. It's so sexy. 
So, yeah, I think it's a good place to end because we need to talk about Magello, but I, we don't have time this week. Oh, shit. We actually we missed an email. Oh, did we? Yes. One sec, one sec, one sec. All right, last uh, minute email before we end the episode. <laughs> what do we got? Uh, we do have one email from Anonymous who is asking... Uh, actually, I'll just read the whole thing. He says, I was in your great state of Colorado on one of your not-so-sunny days at the beginning of the month for work, and I was rather confused, for I saw no mountains. Work had sent me to Centennial for three to four days due to the rain and slash snow and general overcastness. I did not get to partake in that... I did not get to partake in that skyline for which Denver and Colorado are known. That said, I totally want to come back and visit. Now then, with your podcast encouraging all of us to start getting into slash following Moto America, I was curious if you two are going to be attending the Moto America weekend June 13th to 15th at Utah Motorsports Campus over here in Dual, Utah. It's not that far away and certainly a closer drive slash ride than going to Austin. Although, that said, it's nearly June, and now we are still getting winter storms up in the higher elevations. But if you are planning on attending, perhaps a meet and greet is in order? Full disclosure, I have not listened to this episode uh, because of spoilers, yada yada... Let's see what's going on. Yeah. So, yes, we will be in Utah. Yes. We will not be riding. Well, we may be riding. It's questionable because I'm a little fucked up after having crashed. Yeah, and I've been thinking about that, too. It might make more sense for us to carpool drive there. Also, that way I can bring my kids, who I think would be really stoked to go over there for the weekend as well. So in one way or another, I've got the time off work. It's happening. We're going to Utah. You'll see us there if you want to. And yeah, after that, I think that about covers everything we need to cover for this week. Our next episode is going to be another special movie review. And then the episode after that, we will have uh, probably just complete just race coverage from the beginning of the episode to the end. Maybe a guest as well, but there's so much racing we need to catch up on. So we'll do that then. In the meantime, just, I don't know, you're just going to have to just think about how awesome Magello was on your own. And yeah, I think we're about ready to end this episode. You guys good with that? Okay. Okay, Brolin. <laughs> I know you want to talk about the movie so bad. I want to talk about Magello. I know. Fuck. Magello is so good, right? That's the best race of the year. Magello definitely was the best race so far this year. So far. Easily. God damn. All right. You guys ready to do an outro? Let's do it. Do you like the power move with muting all the mics and being able to open beers? Bam. Yeah. All right, here we go. Took me about five seconds to realize we could do that as soon as we got guests. (laughs) Okay. So, thank you for listening to this episode. We're going to do the outro now. Remember, you can send your emails to contact at 
com and stay safe and stay tuned. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Cold.